Welcome to BDO Talks ERISA, a monthly podcast from BDO's ERISA Center of Excellence. Each month, we'll be talking best practices around all things ERISA, how to avoid common compliance issues, how to navigate the tricky ins and outs of ERISA's fiduciary provisions, and discussing our own experiences working for BDO's ERISA Services Group and the insights we share through the ERISA Center of Excellence. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started. Welcome to another podcast for BDO Talks ERISA. I'm Joanne Zupka, audit partner in our ERISA service practice. I'm excited to have you join me today. As you know, this podcast is an extension of the services that we offer through BDO's ERISA Center of Excellence. We are going to devote some time to discussing and learning about employee stock ownership plans or ESOPs over two episodes. Today, we are going to provide an overview of ESOPs. Later, we'll cover ESOP administration and auditing of ESOPs, as there are some differences with ESOP plans. Um, And just so you know, there's approximately 6,600 ESOPs out there that cover more than 14 million participants, and that's according to the National Center for Employee Ownership um, for the year 2021. Now, I'm not going to be having this conversation just by myself. I do have someone that's joining me today, and that is Blake Head. He is a partner in our Global Employer Services, and he knows a thing or two about ESOPs. So, Blake, I want to thank you in advance for joining me today. We have a tradition on this podcast where everyone must share something about themselves. So please introduce yourself and um, share a fun fact. Okay. Uh, Thanks for having me, Joanne. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. Um, Longtime listener, first-time participant. So thanks for having me. Um, So as you said, Blake Head, based in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a partner in BDO's Global Employer Services Practice, but I also lead BDO's National ESOP Advisory Group. So I think we'll talk a little bit more about that. I think I bring an unusual perspective to this podcast because I used to work daily with your co-host, Beth Garner. So tons of stories I could bring out that might get me in trouble. I think I won't bring them out today only because I'm afraid she might take revenge on another podcast and I might not get reinvited back. Mm, Smart move, smart move. Yeah, Beth, um, lots of late nights with her, lots of inside jokes, um, probably not appropriate and probably not um, network TV appropriate as you coached me on the rules before. So, Well, maybe we'll get something out of you um, <laughs> before we're done with today. So uh, I guess we should kind of start with the first thing, like people are hearing this and going, well, in ESOP, what is that? Yeah, um, great question. I mean, so on its face, an ESOP is a qualified retirement plan. You know, it's a similar to a 401k, similar to a profit sharing plan. It's a retirement plan for the benefit of the employees that's governed by ERISA. Um, but to me, it's so much more than that. You know, it's um, an ownership transition strategy that has some great tax advantages for both the company and the selling shareholders. It's an employee retention and recruitment tool. And it's a way for business owners to sell their company at fair market value to the employees and the team that helped build it. Um, So to me, it's just an amazing way for business owners, the right business to transition their business uh, to the employees. Excellent uh, definition. Thank you for that. Um, So you were talking about companies. I kind of just want to start there first. Um, How do we know like what company is ideal for an ESOP? Is it a C-corp? Is it an S-corp? Is it a partnership? Can you shed any light on that? 
Um, sure, of course. You know, I don't think the entity structure matters so much. I mean, by definition, except for one private letter ruling out there, you must be an Inc., you know, an S-Corp or a C-Corp at the time of transaction um, because the ESOP is selling shares and, and allocating shares to employees. I think the reality is no matter what structure um, we get involved in, we can always restructure to get to that C or an S-Corp. I tend to think of good ESOP candidates um, more as a company that has consistent cash flows because a lot of times we're going to be putting on some type of debt onto the books of the business so if you don't have recurring revenue or you can repay that debt consistently you know we don't we might face the risk of over levering the business you know in some cases you need to have a strong management team in place and I actually say that's one of the most important things um, have a strong management team in place that has a clear vision for where the business is going to go that's going to be super important to make sure once the business is sold to the employees that it can continue and um, will be successful into the future. You know, you need to have some size to it. So there's really no minimum level of EBITDA or cash flows. But, but the reality is businesses are valued as a function of free cash flows. So, you know, if you had a business with $100,000 of net income, the cost to set up and establish and to maintain ESOP probably wouldn't make sense. I think by definition, most ESOPs are lower middle market, at least exclusively. So I think that the majority of the ESOP transactions out there in the world today are in that, you know, 15 to $60 million enterprise value. And then certainly there's some outliers, but I think that's the the majority of the ESOPs out there. Okay, excellent. Um, lots of things that you mentioned, I just kind of want to go back on real quick. Um, so I think some people listening may go, okay, well, wait a minute, stock. So First of all, the company has to kind of in your point, they have to, they're not publicly traded, they're private. So how do they they have to figure out what the company is worth to then figure out what the stock will be? Yeah, I think that's step one. Um, and, and that's frankly about getting too salesy where we come in or any ESOP advisor would come in. You know, I think the first step to understanding what an ESOP would look like and what it means is what we call a feasibility study. And step one of feasibility study is doing diligence of the company, understanding the goals of all parties, company, selling shareholders, employees, which might be adverse or competing with each other. And, and then from there, we value the business. You know, if we were going to sell your business to an ESOP, what would we transact at or what do we think we'd transact at? Because it is a negotiated value. We come up with some assumptions on, hey, if your business is worth $30 million, how would we finance the sell? You know, we could go and have the owners take a seller note or an IOU for the company. We could go out and borrow money from a bank. Um, the bank market right now is extremely favorable, and especially to ESOPs. And then from there, we layer in all the tax savings associated with the ESOP all the cost to borrow money and to implement the ESOP. And we show the business owner, what does it mean to company cash flows over the next several years, maybe 10 years. And then from there, we'll show the owners, you know, what will I be getting at close as far as cash from the transaction and on an annual basis and on a pre and a post-tax basis. So what I actually get out of the ESOP transaction. And then we'll also show what do the employees get out of the transaction. So really at the end of that feasibility study, I know what my business is worth. I know what it's gonna to mean to me financially as a selling shareholder. I know if the company can support the cash flows and I know what the employees are gonna get out of the deal. And that really should be the roadmap and the start for any business owner looking to transition to an ESOP. 
or sell to Anissa. Okay. Love the fact that you just outlined a roadmap. Um, can we put some timing to it? Is this a six month project, nine month project? Yeah, I think that feasibility study is anywhere from four weeks to eight weeks, depending on complexity and size. Again, that's not getting you to the point of sale. And then once a business owner says, hey, I like model three in the feasibility study, let's go try and execute this because we all know um, people like to tinker with things, you know, then that's where we get engaged to go execute, to negotiate the transaction, to raise the financing, and really just depending on complexity and how much prep has went into diligence and getting ready for a sell. It's anywhere from a three-month process to a nine-month process. Um, we might have to restructure multiple entities into one holdco. We might have to do audit financials or quality of earnings. Just every deal is specific, but kind of for that lower middle market, $25 million value business, three to four months is probably appropriate. For the more complex, um, more legal wranglings and reorganizations that we have to do to get there, that, that's more towards the latter end. You are truly Southern because you're very politely saying it's how everyone has to play nice in the sandbox to get the deal done. <laughs> I thought um, because I said Wrangler, so I wasn't sure where you're going with that. But uh, I believe those are jeans, right? They are. But okay, alrighty. Um, so you kept talking about middle market. Is there um, are ESOPs more popular kind of in one industry than another? Um, that's a great question. I would say that there are certain industries that lend themselves very well to ESOPs. Construction's a great one. And I think the reason for that is earnings are cyclical in some cases. So they're they're not super predictable and they kind of go up and down with the economy. A and E firms, architecture and engineering firms, um, really, really good ESOP candidates. And I think in that situation, it's just um You've got a group of owners that, that are ready to retire and maybe that next group of owners or or in that case, key managers don't have the financial wherewithal to buy them out. So an ESOP makes a lot of sense. And, and also in that case, it might be a great incentive tool to get employees to or a recruitment tool to get employees to come work there. I think it's easier to define what is a tough ESOP transaction. And that's something it's really the higher multiple businesses. So like a tech company or they're trading at 25 X, you know, by definition, the ESOP must pay fair market value, but we've got to counter that with the fact that there's no outside capital coming in to pay for it. So whatever value we transact at, it's got to be supported by the business's cash flows. And just the reality is those high growth industries that, our high multiple industries are really, really tough ESOP transactions unless someone's willing to accept an unusual structure via an earnout or something else to, to make the deal work. So, but, you know, I'm a generalist. I'm not an industry specialist. We've worked in every industry out there, technology, financial services, construction, A and C. Um, just the reality is that some of those make it more difficult than others for an ESOP transaction. I completely understand. I guess I also want to talk about, you mentioned uh, um, this is good for employee retention. This could also be a good recruiting tool. Um, why do you think that, right? Because I think most companies go back in the day, right? Oh, well, we had a defined benefit. We had a pension plan. Those are kind of going by the wayside. We replaced that with the 401k. Um, why do you think the ESOP is, is so great from a retention perspective? 
You know, I think the key to that question is really, really good organization, organizational culture. And I think the reality is companies that educate employees on the benefits and the power of an ESOP and the fact that, hey, every employee working for me right now is an employee owner. And we have a chance to impact our future and our retirement plan by doing things to drive the business forward and increase value. Companies that communicate that and have that culture are wildly successful. And then with some, just the way the ESOP plans can be structured today, where not all the shares get allocated on day one, you know, it's usually allocated as a function of comp and or tenure, and it's allocated over a long period of time, you know, people start to see their account balance grow every year. Not only are they getting more shares because they're hopefully increasing in comp and or tenure, or I guess comp and tenure, um, and they're getting more shares allocated, plus their contributions are, you know, delivering a higher stock price every year. It, it becomes really powerful. And if you think couple that with the fact they're not paying a dime to participate in the ESOP, it's a free benefit to them that likely the competitor next door is not offering. And, you know, it might not click right away, but for those companies that really communicate that and their employees buy in, it, you know, those are the most wildly successful companies out there. Yeah. So uh, just to go back to that, right, um, in an ESOP, and we'll get a little, we'll dive a little bit more into this in the second uh portion when we talk about administration audit, but an ESOP does not allow for employee contribution. So that actually helps the employees with their paycheck because they're not seeing that deduction going out. Right. Uh, so there's more take-home pay. Yep. Um, do you see, what do you see some of the challenges to be with ESOPs in the near future? Um, well, I hope there's none because my whole practice is built on this, just to start there. <laughs> Um, you know, I think that there's been a lot in the in the recent past, there's been a lot of um, there's been some litigation around ESOP transactions. And I think what that forced the ESOP community to do was to get very serious about how ESOP transactions are handled, how the process works and what makes for a really good deal uh, put together that, that benefits all parties and is done fairly to all parties. And I think in some sense, that's really help the ESOP community kind of put some guardrails in place to to make sure that everyone's kind of doing this for the right reasons. And, you know, I'm very hopeful and, and I've got a glass half full type of attitude that ESOPs are just kind of right at the beginning and they're going to explode. You know, I think that you, yeah, I think for many reasons, right? I think ESG is getting super popular right now. I think ESOPs tie directly into the social part of ESG. Um, I think a lot of people believe there's this broken retirement system out there. Like you said before, we used to have pensions. We used to have 401ks. ESOPs are really good for everybody. You know, the the person that started a business and took a risk is selling a fair market value. Those employees that help build it to get to where it is are benefiting in the long term through ESOPs. You know, I think there's just a lot more knowledge about ESOPs right now because of great organizations like NCEO, which you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. the ESOP Association, um, the Ownership Expansion Network. I mean, these are organizations out there promoting employee ownership. And I think the reality right now is there's just a lot of capital out there and people are excited to invest in ESOP transactions. They understand that these are very, very credit worthy businesses. And I think the impact we've seen is larger businesses looking at ESOPs as a viable alternative, coupling that with the fact that you've got millions of business owners that are baby boomers 
baby boomers, excuse me, getting ready to retire. They've got to do something with their business. Um, so, so I'm very positive. And you know, I think as long as the ESOP community continues to do deals the right way, um, this should explode in popularity. No, that's all um, all excellent information that you've provided. I, I do think, um, as you mentioned, kind of the baby boomers as they're getting ready to look for retirement um, ESOPs is an excellent way to continue on with the company. And while we talk today mostly about the company side, right, it really does kind of end up having two two parties. You're going to have the company that's going to set up the ESOP, and then the ESOP is going to end up being the plan. So um, I want to just make sure that we're well aware that we're talking, you know, two different sides. Absolutely. Um, are we missing anything about consideration of setting up an ESOP, um, what companies need to do. We talked about the timing. Um, I just want to make sure that, did we miss anything? It sounds simple, but you were definitely tossing out some EBTAs and things of that nature that, you know, can throw people off. Now, I think the, I think this works for any business considering a sell ESOP or not. I mean, I think the advice I'd give to someone is just go talk to someone that's qualified and understands how how it works and talk to someone that can speak to multiple types of exits. You know, don't talk to just a third party, someone that only does third party investment banking sales, right? Don't talk to someone that just does ESOP advisory. Talk to someone that has experience doing all types of different transactions. Sit down with them, explain your goals of what do you want to accomplish out of any type of transaction, and then have them work through and model it and educate you on pros and cons of what makes sense. I mean, what I, and I know we're not supposed to get salesy, but what we do a good job of is coming into something with a, a blank slate, understanding what do you want to do? We're completely agnostic and as to structure or as to what the final outcome is. We're just trying to advise our clients on the best path forward to accomplish goals. And I hope all advisors are doing that, but I think that's the best advice I'd give to anyone looking to sell to an ESOP or um, their company's considering an ESOP transaction. So it sounds like you start with a blank canvas or piece of Play-Doh and you're going to mold it and build it to the conversations that you have and surrounding surrounding yourself with um, great advisors that are going to listen to what you want and be able to give you options at the end is really um, one of the things for why we started the podcast and the ERISA Center of Excellence is just letting people know about the information that's out there. Exactly. And that applies to anything in life. Get great advisors, not just do some transactions. And it's, I love the fact that you bring up Play-Doh because Every morning, my three-year-old son goes into my office and gets anything in Play-Doh, and I wake up to it at like 6.30 if I'm just molding things, as you described. So. Oh, is it multicolored or, you know? It is. So if I could show you, we have a drawer with like 100 Play-Doh cans in there. So I don't know why we have so much Play-Doh, but it's very popular in the head household. Um. Yeah, I, I would have stopped at like 50, but, you know, two, you got two kids. I don't know, maybe the... It, you know, it must've been a Costco deal or something. I'm not, not exactly <laughs> sure what it was. Well, like I've enjoyed our time today. Um, and thank you so much for giving us an intro and a kind of an overview of the ESOPs. Um, before I close it out, is there anything else that you want to tell us about ESOPs? No, I just want to leave Beth with two words, roll tide. She's not going to like that. <laughs> not at all. all right, wait, 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 wait. Well, I'll change it. Three words. I'll leave, let me redo it. We'll go three words. Roll, tide, roll. Okay. Um, well, thank you, Blake, again, for joining us today as we talked about the ESOPs. 
Um, as I mentioned, we will have a second part that we will talk about the administration and the auditing of the ESOPs. Um, if you, we'd love to hear from you. If you, there's a specific topic or you want to send in a question, especially related to ESOPs, we could always bring Blake back if we have an overabundance of questions. Um, please feel free to send those to BDO Talks of Rissa at BDO.com. And thank you once again for joining us. Thank you for listening to BDO Talks Arissa. Past episodes are available at bdo.com slash BDO Talks Arissa, or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also send us feedback, questions, or ideas you have for future topics at bdotalksarissa at bdo.com. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on BDO's ERISA Center of Excellence and the services we provide, visit bdo.com slash ERISA.